We are looking at the Proverbs, and through this series in the Proverbs, we've discovered uh, two primary messages. First, uh, that we are called as those who know of God to reorient our lives around the kingdom of God, and uh, that means away from the values of the kingdoms of this world. Uh, we've also learned that wisdom uh, helps us to be competent to live good and productive lives. And uh, what we find in these passages that were read about wealth and money is how we can reorient our lives around the kingdom of God and have competency in regard to life with regard to money and wealth. So let's look at wealth through the Proverbs. First, we're going to look at the power of wealth. Wealth makes us feel that we have power and control, and certainly to a degree it does. We can buy things, we can feel secure, we do not need to fear the future depending on how much wealth we have accumulated. Uh, and wealth, in that regard, is a good and helpful thing. But many people, and most of us, find that there is something else about wealth that uh, is not so good, and that is when we make wealth a part of our identity. Wealth can make us feel important. We put value on people based on the value of their bank account. We think that they're more important because they have more money. A ridiculous thought, really. We measure ourselves by how much we have. It used to be, they say, that we would keep up with the Joneses, and the Joneses were the people in our neighborhood, and we'd try to have, um, if they got a new car, we'd feel like we needed to have a new car. And uh, they say because people are not as connected with neighbors anymore, that what we're uh, trying to keep up with is are the people we see on TV, the most wealthy, the most powerful, and that is uh, not going to help us feel good about ourselves. The problem is that wealth does not determine our intrinsic spiritual value. It makes people think that they have more value, but as uh, we read in Proverbs 28.11, the rich are wise in their own eyes, but one who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. The power and control that wealth gives us is illusory. It doesn't do everything it promises. One preacher said these things. You can buy a house, but you cannot buy a home. You can buy a bed, but you cannot buy sleep. You can buy a clock, but you cannot buy time. You can buy a book, but not knowledge. You can buy medicine, but you can't buy health. You can buy quiet, but you cannot buy peace. You can buy company, but you cannot buy friends. You can buy entertainment, but you cannot buy joy. You can buy flowers, but you cannot buy forgiveness. Money promises so much, but delivers only part of what it promises. And the key to understanding wealth in its proper context is to understand that God is above our wealth. In uh, verse 2 of chapter 22, we read, Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. And 11.4 gives us this stark reminder, Wealth is worthless on the day of wrath. 
but righteousness delivers from death. All of us, ultimately, the rich and the poor, answer to God. And on that day of judgment, it will not matter how big our bank account might have been on this earth. What matters is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and our faithfulness to God's revelation to us. We've looked at the power of wealth. We now look at the process of wealth. Wealth is necessary. It's important to have resources in order to live. Uh, but And the Proverbs tell us how we can get those resources, the best ways to accumulate the wealth that we need. The way not to do it is to be lazy. As it, we find in uh, verse 4 of chapter 10, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. And 28.19, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. A lot of people pursue the get-rich-quick schemes. They try to figure out a way so that they don't have to work too hard, but still accumulate wealth. And scripture tells us that really does not work. And we think maybe that work is a result of the fall of humanity, but remember, Adam and Eve were given their assignment to tend the garden before sin entered the world. We are created to work. We are created to find fulfillment and purpose in doing. And that is how God created us. So to be lazy not only keeps you from achieving wealth, but it keeps you from your purpose that God created you to have in this world. We find that quick money is not usually a good thing. An inheritance gained hastily, this is 2021, in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. And I wanted to send a little note to Gus the Groundhog, the Pennsylvania State Lottery uh, um, mascot, and, and remind him that many lottery winners end up losing all their winnings within just a couple of years because that way of, of achieving wealth is not really a long-term solution. It does not last. And it's because the wisdom of gaining wealth has not been imparted to those folks who get it so quickly and easily. And hear this as well. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. There's also a problem in our culture today of borrowed money, of people with great um, big debts that they owe to credit card companies, to where whomever. And what the Proverbs say about this, and this is not one of the ones I had uh, read earlier, but verse, 20, verse 7 of chapter 22 says, the borrower is the slave of the lender. Folks, try to diminish whatever debt load you're carrying, because debt makes you a slave. It keeps you from being able to do what you might be called to do. It keeps you uh, enslaved to that debt. And I encourage you to get out from under it, whatever it takes. It won't happen immediately. That's one of the lessons we're learning here. But make sure to make that happen for yourself, because that is a wise way of dealing with wealth, is to not have debt. 
We've looked at the power of wealth, we've looked at the process of acquiring wealth, and now we're looking at the perils of wealth. 15.6 says, The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings ruin. Verse 20 of chapter 15, A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. And then some of the most beautiful verses in all of Proverbs are verses 7 through 9 of chapter 30. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may have become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of God. The Apostle Paul says something similar in 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The perils of wealth is if it pulls you away from God, if it becomes your identity rather than having your identity in your relationship with God. The purpose of wealth, finally, we've looked at the power, the process, the perils, and now the purpose of wealth. Our money helps us live, but it is not our identity. And I think that's the, one of the core understandings that the Proverbs gives to us. And it's an understanding that I think was probably very true in the day in which these verses were written, but maybe even more true today as so many people get their sense of identity from how much they have, what they have, and even what they don't have. And that is a mistake. The purpose of wealth is to help us live, but not to give us a sense of self. 15.16 says this, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Get This tells us what our values should be. A relationship with God and living in loving relationships with others. And all the money in the world can't provide that for us. And it's foolish for us to put money over those things. 22 verse 1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. And from last week, uh, from chapter 3, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a sense in which God tells us that if we are faithful to put him first, faithful to understand the real purpose of our money, our wealth, that we will be entrusted then with more. And when we have more, we will then use that well also. And not only does our money help us to live, but our money, our wealth, helps others. 
Verse 17 of chapter 19 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Do you understand that? If we give to the poor, we're giving, in a sense, lending it to God, which means God will pay us back. It's a beautiful expression of God's desire for us to give. Uh, verse 24 of chapter 11, one person gives freely and gains even more. Others withhold unduly and come to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. In other words, generosity makes life better for, our, for others and for ourselves. And Jesus said similar words recorded in Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Bruce Waltke, an Old Testament professor and uh, scholar of the Hebrew language, sums it up well when he says the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community, the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. There are so many applications to that thought that the righteous are willing to disadvantage our, ourselves for the good of others. Uh, definitely those who follow Jesus Christ should do this. We are following the one who gave up his position of power and authority and all the wealth of heaven to become one of us and then to suffer and die for us. And we've seen it, have we not? Those who are willing to disadvantage the community for their own gain. It may seem like they're gaining, but they're really losing. They're losing a relationship with God through their selfishness. They are losing relationship with other people and a good name because of their selfishness. And they are bound to discover that the promise of wealth, the promise of wealth to give you a sense of self is an empty one. But the promise of wealth to be used to help us live and then help others to live is one that is filled, is filled with the blessings of God. Friends, learn to live wisely, putting God first and then using your wealth, your whatever amount you have. And don't say, well, I don't have wealth because I don't have much. Whatever you have, that is your wealth. And use that to bless others and God will bless you. Amen.